0: Hi, it's Joanna Oakey here and welcome back to The Deal Room Podcast. Today we are talking all about due diligence from a legal perspective and I am here today talking with Liz Lee from Aspect Legal. Hi Liz, welcome back. Hi, Joanna. Thank you for having me back. Great. Okay. So if you listen to our last episode, um, you will have heard that at the moment we're talking about due diligence. So in that previous episode, we talked a little bit about what due diligence is and why we go through a due diligence process. In that issue, we also talked about what due diligence you might consider doing or we might consider doing from a legal perspective for smaller transactions or lower risk transactions. And today, we're getting a bit more detailed and we're going to talk about the types of due diligence that might be considered for larger, more complex or more risky transactions. So if you haven't heard the first episode, I highly recommend that you go back and have a listen to that episode. We'll have a link in our show notes back to that episode so you can find it or, of course, just look on your podcast player for the episode prior to this one. But today, we're going to move right on to the considerations for larger matters. Now, one of the comments we made, Liz, in the previous podcast episode on this due diligence side was that due diligence, the due diligence process itself, really has to be reflective of the commercial realities of the transaction. So you can't investigate everything in an organisation or a business. You have to work out where to spend your time. And that is certainly true of the smaller transactions we talked about in the last episode, but it's also very true of the larger transactions, Liz, right?
1: Yes, correct. because you know with the larger transactions, the businesses tend to be much larger, and therefore you really want to be focused on making sure that you're looking at the right issues that's going to bear most risk
0: yeah and I think you know the larger transactions sometimes there's the risk of not being able to see the wood for the trees if you don't have enough of a focus on what the commercial imperatives of the deal are and the risk profile of the buyer and the business itself because when you know larger organizations often have a sea of documents and materials and due diligence request will then result Result in lots of (laughs) documents coming forward, and so it's really about being able to be really focused on what are the important elements that we're looking at. As I said, so you don't lose the wood for the trees.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, for example, if you're looking at employment contracts for a small business, you tend, you know, if there's three or four employees, you might actually look at every contract just to make sure you know that they're all the same. Whereas for uh, a larger business with hundreds of employees or even thousands, you can't be looking at every contract. You're going to have to ask for a sample.
0: Yeah. And this is where I guess it's important to say we tie also our due diligence process in with the warranties and indemnities that are provided within the contract itself. So we can use these, you know, we use both of these processes in tandem to achieve um, a risk mitigation perspective for the buyer.
1: That's right. You want to make sure that whatever samples that they've given you is representative of the workplace contracts and that they back it up with a warranty.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Okay. Well, look. Let's run through some of these areas. Now, these are similar areas that we covered in the last podcast. But um, as we work through it, if, if you listen to the last episode, you'll see that we're looking at different things in a different way. So, and certainly, um, you know, we're looking at these areas a lot deeper. So, if we start off with the first area, the the corporate owner of the business or the structure of the ownership, we will look here in a more deep way than just the searches that may be done in a smaller transaction where we're doing searches on the company itself and historically, in this, if for larger transactions, we might start looking closer at office holders, shareholders, and shareholdings individually and together.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, it really does depend on the the nature of the business. But if a business is strongly held by a particular individual, for example, but it's done through a corporate uh, structure, you would probably still run some searches on the individual, that principle as well as the corporate structure to make sure that, you know, there's no bankruptcy or reputational uh, type issues that's associated with the individual.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Particularly where there's a, you you know, a very controlling individual personality in the business. So we might look back at, you, you know, certainly looking at the documents relating to the structure of the business. So looking at the constitutions and any of those other documents that are relevant to the business as a whole and the corporate structure and the management structure.
1: Yeah, that's right.
0: We might look at other entities owned or controlled by shareholders or directors that have been used in connection with the business. I guess that's one other, you know, area we might dive deeper in for larger matters.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, you know, inquire about whether there's been any sort of commercial arrangements between the business and side businesses held by the officers and shareholders.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we certainly want to be uncovering here if there's any sort of related party transactions that we should have our eye on, particularly to the extent that they might carry forward in the business moving into the new ownership structure. All right. Now, what else are we looking at in um, the ownership side of the business in due diligence?
1: Yeah, so you'd want to know about whether there have been any past acquisitions in the last, you know, 18 months or two years to make sure you've got the full picture of that whole corporate group and whether there were any Issues that were uncovered during due diligence in, in the acquisition process. The other thing that we would look at also is the company registers. So usually with larger scale transaction, you know, you're know, you often involved in uh, share purchase and, and that's where we would have to look through our company registers too.
0: And in any of the, say for example, if there's a trust sitting anywhere in, in the business, then we need to be investigating the trust records, the unit register, the trust deeds. Uh, all of those sorts of things, if, if trusts are interlaid in the structure at all. Yep. Okay. All right. So I guess next second we'd move on to finance. So here we might be looking at, for example, details of leased or hired equipment, and we might be looking at the leasing and the financing a- agreements.
1: Yep. Many guarantees and and letters of comfort have been given, particularly with trading agreements with suppliers and with clients. You know, often, let's say if they had a government client, the company might have to provide some sureties
0: yeah absolutely. and sometimes they can be stuck within you know right within client contracts. So and we'll talk about that when we get to the client contract side, but these are certainly part of the pool of things that we look at when we're looking through client and supplier agreements. Sometimes they might sit in supplier agreements as well. We certainly always would be looking at any securities that are granted um, in relation to the business. So once again, as we talked about in the last podcast episode, we'd be doing PPSR searching. And if you don't know what that is, go listen to the last (laughs) episode where we talk a bit about what the PPSR is. And we might also be looking at banking arrangements, I guess, as a whole.
1: Yeah, that's right. You know, Any overdrafts and and so forth that um, the purchaser would be interested in knowing about. Yeah. And any other financing
0: arrangements or, or agreements. All right. So then next we would be moving on to commercial contracts, which generally we're looking specifically at client and supplier contracts, but we might also have partner agreements depending on, you know, how the business is operated and whether it uses any sort of distribution arrangement or partner agreement approach. But looking particularly at client and supplier agreements, you know, there can be a lot that we're looking for here in these agreements. And there can be a large volume of agreements provided. So once again, it's about really managing the way the questions are asked in relation to these agreements and managing how you're actually going to do the review so that you don't miss the wood for the trees. Mm-hmm, yeah. So here I think we're particularly looking for elements that relate to the risk of the business moving forward, but also to the practical side of how we're going to deal with assignment of these contracts if that's what's required or changing control consents where where that may be required if it's a share sale.
1: Yep, that's right. And, you know, with these businesses, you'd also want to ask about whether there's any sort of open offers, tenders or quotations that's outstanding, that that's capable of acceptance by a third party. It may be, depending on what the purchaser wants to do with the business, there may be certain parts of the business is no longer interested in pursuing. And so they want to make sure that there aren't any sort of open offers out there.
0: Yeah. And look, I I think the way forward in relation to um, this area, as with all other areas as we've talked about, is to have a really strong grip on who the buyer is, what their risk profile is, and what they see of value in the business that they're buying. Because you, you know it's important that you don't get taken down a rabbit hole, I think, in these areas and really keep focused on the commercialities of the deal in terms of working out what you're reviewing here and to what degree. Yep. All right. So, uh, I guess the next area that perhaps will be useful to talk about is intellectual property. Now, we'll always look at some level of intellectual property for a business, but our investigations in relation to intellectual property will vary depending on how important IP is to the business. I, I guess from the high level is we, we can always say that we're looking at you know trade names, trademarks, all of those sorts of general intellectual property in the business.
1: That's right. And plus, related to that, look at the domain names that that are registered and business names, if any. Yeah. And then
0: I guess then we're starting to get a little bit deeper now. Now we say, okay, well, what is the intellectual property that is important in the business? Where does value line? And this might be in copyrighted material, this might be in trademarked material, or this might lie, for example, in patents or other intellectual property rights. The important thing in all of these areas that we're digging into is establishing chain of title so if it's important to the business, can the business prove that it owns this intellectual property and that might be proof by way of registrations for example for trademarks and patents or it might be by way of assignment clauses from employees and contractors and general suppliers where it relates to other intellectual property rights. so you know we'll we'll really, analyse what is the important intellectual property for a business and can we see where the chain of title has been created for this? Should the buyer ever be in the position that they're going to need to substantiate their ownership of the IP into the future? For example, if they need to defend themselves against actions by others or indeed if they need to take action to stop others from misusing their IP. Yep. It can also be useful for us to dig into what the policies and procedures are for the business relating to intellectual property creation and protection and enforcement and training. You, you know, once again, depending on the – importance of ip in a business we might really go deep here in terms of how the business has dealt with its ip in the past now some businesses will have clearly developed ip registers some businesses will be a mess <laughs> and you know that can impact the risk level the risk profile of the ip sitting in that organization
1: Yes. The difficulty with IP is that there's no hard and fast rules as to how you identify IP has been created. And in most cases, people don't know, even if they've created IP. So, yes, asking about policies and procedures is probably an Im- important way to reveal whether or not the company actually has those in place. At least you've asked the question.
0: Absolutely. And then once again, you know, this is an example of another area that ties into the warranties and indemnities that sit in our transaction documents. All right, so then moving next to IT systems, as we said in the last <laughs> episode, we're not about reviewing the IT itself, but just the uh, legal environment surrounding the IT. And once again, this is all based on how important any of the IT systems are in the, in the running of the business by the new owners.
1: That's right. And in some sort of large organisations, they might have developed some... Um platform internally and in that scenario you want to make sure that whoever they've used to to create software is actually owned by the business
0: yeah absolutely i think that's a really important one and and also you know where there's license agreements in place for software that uh, you know is, is owned by um, a supplier another organization it's really important to understand how those license agreements work if the software is going to be important to the running of the business uh, through the new ownership.
1: Yeah, correct.
0: Then let's look at employees and contractors. And I guess I just want to quickly step back here and say we're running through each of these areas and not covering everything that we would look at, obviously, because I don't think there's enough time in this podcast. And no, it would be very boring if we ran through exactly what we're doing. So
1: here we're just giving you a high yes, level Yes, it would overview. be pretty <laughs> tedious, yes. Ha <laughs>
0: Um, All right. So so moving on then to the general areas of employees and contractors. So Liz, maybe let's talk about what's the general things that we're looking for here?
1: So generally, we want to look at their typical employee contracts and typical contractor agreements. We want to make sure that there's just like for small business, you know, adequate protections with regard to confidential information, restraints, appropriate restraints in case they leave the business and also IP that would be vested in the company should the uh, the employees create um, any IP. Also important area to look at is to see if there's any awards that's applicable to certain categories of employees in the business. You want to make sure that you're across what awards apply and whether there's any sort of special arrangements under those awards for those employees.
0: And I guess we're also here looking at, you know, making sure we've got a clear understanding period of service of employees and how this reflects in things like entitlements because that can be an important area. And and this is something that generally... As a whole is an area for accounting due diligence, but from a legal perspective, it can also be interesting here as well to um understand some of these elements that we're dealing with.
1: Yeah, that's right. and and there's intricacies involved with uh, how you treat leave employee leave entitlements, um, whether it's going to be assumed by the purchaser or whether the vendor will pay it out and whether the Purchaser will recognise period of service from when they actually started versus them drawing a line in the sand to say that well you're you've been paid out your entitlements we're starting from scratch.
0: Mm, absolutely, and then you know generally we'll be looking also at employment policies, and manuals and handbooks, and you know there might be share options or incentive or profit sharing schemes or arrangements. So we need to be understanding those, and finally I guess you know ensuring that we're right across any employment or industrial-related complaints that may have been made or claims that may have been made in the past or that indeed may be on foot.
1: Yeah, that's right. That's probably a very important area to – to investigate. Absolutely. So look, let's just
0: quickly run through the last few areas, which are generally the assets, the insurance and the regulatory and litigation environment. So I know that's a lot there, but just, we, I, I guess we're investigating the assets. We're looking at the adequacy in, of insurance in place and understanding what insurance has been in place.
1: Yeah, that's right. Because you know, if there was a claim after the purchaser has taken over the business, you want to make sure that there's appropriate level of insurance cover to mitigate that risk. Absolutely, absolutely. And then
0: we're also looking at the regulatory environment, so understanding the licences or permits or accreditations or whatever it may be in relation to running the business, and understanding um, whether there has been any issues with any of these in the past, and um, the extent to which any consents or 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 transfers may be required um, to move it into the new ownership.
1: Yeah, so tied in with this like, regulatory aspect, one of the things that we would look at if we were to look at their contracts with customers is that you know we need to consider are they trading with consumers? Are consumers' rights being breached? Are they in compliance with the Australian consumer laws in terms of how they put the contracts forward? Those sorts of aspects we we would look quite closely at.
0: Absolutely, and then we'd also look at litigation. You know, the extent to which there'd been any litigation, either on foot or you know. Pre- present in the past. And, And I guess, you know, we define that quite broadly, you know, it might just relate generally to disputes, and particularly disputes that might be at risk of turning into litigation into the future we would also be looking at any real property as well, whether that's you know owned or um, leased or, or even perhaps
1: licensed by the business. Absolutely. The same issues as due diligence process for a smaller business on the leasing side.
0: Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, look, I think that's been a uh, very quick run through. If you are interested in finding out more about due diligence for an organisation that you're looking at acquiring or or participating in acquiring or selling, just head over to our website at www.aspectlegal.com.au and organise a time to talk to one of our legal eagles about your situation. We're happy to chat at any time. Well, thank you, Liz. Thanks for um, coming along and chatting
1: us to us again. My pleasure, Joanna. Thanks for having me along.
0: Right. Well, that's it for today. I hope you enjoyed this discussion just as much as I did. If you are not already subscribed to The Deal Room, please go ahead to iTunes or your favourite podcast player and subscribe to The Deal Room podcast in order to get notifications straight to your phone whenever a new episode is out. We'd also love to hear your feedback, so please leave us a review and rating. Thanks again for listening in. This has been Joanna Oki and The Deal Room podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial practice Aspect Legal. See you next time. Aspect Legal has a number of great services that help businesses prepare for a sale or acquisition to help them prepare in advance and to get transaction ready. We've also got a range of services to help guide businesses through the sale and acquisitions process. We work with clients both big and small, and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. We provide a free consultation to discuss your proposed sale or acquisition. So see our show notes on how to book a time to speak with us, or head over to our website at aspectlegal.com.au. Ladies and gentlemen, that will conclude
1: this evening's entertainment.